You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Fantastic. It is great to be here with you. If you've got a Bible, you could uh, open up at the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis, Genesis and chapter 11. It's uh, thrilling to be involved in the dedication of Joshua this morning. Uh, I think family life, children are a wonderful gift from God, aren't they? And uh, I echo what uh, Edward and Anuga said. Sam and Anna, we love having you here at the church. We love your commitment, your diligence, your sacrifice. It's great to be able to speak on this special day. I've got a picture, I believe, coming up here of um, the Isaacsons. <laughs> As they would like to see themselves, and no doubt we would too. The reality is, isn't it, that inside of every one of us, there's almost this quest, this desire to be a hero. I don't know if you've seen this. It's one of my favorite family films called The Incredibles. Bob the Dad otherwise known as Sam, is a man of strength and durability. Helen is an elastic girl. She can stretch. Violet can make herself disappear. Dash is speed, and Jack is shape-shifting, so much so he's not even in this picture. I want us to look at a hero in the Bible. I believe that God would want to speak the word hero over you this morning. And what are some of the lessons that we could learn from this? And I'm going to look at Abraham. So if you've got your Bible, Genesis chapter 11, I'm going to read some verses. I'm going to start at verse 27, and then I'm just going to plow on into chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcar. And she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcar and Iscar. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Cana. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moah in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And I'm going to stop right there. 
It's a fantastic passage. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Father, we ask that you would speak so clearly to us this morning. We thank you that you have revealed yourself as the good shepherd to us today. We thank you that your sheep hear your voice. We come this morning and say, we long to hear from you. Lord, we can get so busy. Things seem such a rush in the week. This morning, we do want to hear from our Father in heaven. Amen. I don't know about you, if I say the word hero, I wonder how you feel about yourself. The reality is that we really know what we're like. And if I put a picture up of the Incredibles, you think, oh, well, that's just a story, that's just a film. It's not me. The reality is that you sit here this morning and you think, I'm just so aware maybe of my faults. Things I haven't quite done as I'd like to have done. Well, what I find fascinating about this Bible story, and I love this about the Bible, is God isn't looking for perfect people. If you look at the like of Abraham, he was one of the most unlikely heroes possible. Why do I say that? Well, uh, there's loads of things that we could dig out about this, but it even tells us in the Bible. In fact, in Joshua, which is when the people had traveled through the wilderness for 40 years and they'd ended up settling, it says there in Joshua 24 verse 2, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Abraham was what we'd call an idolater. He we think, worship the moon god. It's funny because if God was looking for a hero, why would he choose someone that was worshipping someone else? But that is what happens here in the Bible. In fact, Laban, if you know your Bible, you'd know that there was an arm called Laban. Something was actually known as white face or moon face. And literally, he was that connected to the gods. And yet God wants to pick out this guy as a hero. Don't discount yourself today. You might think, oh, Pete, you just don't know what I've done, the way I've treated my life. Actually, I've given my whole life to my career. God would never use me. God wants to use you. We know from Abraham, about Abraham, that he was an urbanite. He lived in the city. In fact, if you read the story, and I've been reading it this week, he instinctively lies and he's deceptive. He's a regular, self-sufficient guy from Mesopotamia. So if you look at this guy, it's almost like, you know, he's just a, I suppose we'd call it streetwise, wouldn't we, in London? You know what I'm saying? He knows how to look after himself, but he doesn't always do it in the best way. That's the guy. I was going to get anyone here who's 75 and older to stand, but I won't do that because in this passage, he is considered a bit old for the job. If you read the first bit of Genesis, you know that people had children when they were very old. But we've just actually had a list of of generations in in chapter 10, which I didn't read, where the fathers were getting younger and younger. And in the midst of that, we're then told about Abraham, who's 75 and got no kids. Now, if I wanted to have a massive family and God is looking to have this family on earth, I might pick someone who's young Because I think, man, it's going to give them a few years just to get going. You know what I'm saying? If we want to get a few kids out, you know, let's ask Sam and Anna. The reality is they've they've got to have some time to make these things happen. He's old. He's 75. His wife, 65. He's not a likely hero. In fact, 
if you really look at even the passage I read, the other two ladies that marry, we're told about their bigger family, but we're not told about Sarah's. It's almost like that just highlights the fact that she was infertile. She couldn't have kids. Why on earth would you pick an old couple and the woman cannot have children if you want to establish a family on the earth? Everything was stacked against him. I wish I had more time. There was one commentary that I was reading this week that was even saying they don't think that Abraham was the firstborn. In those days, let's say you had like, I don't know, a thousand pounds to give to your kids as an inheritance. You might say to the first one, it's 950 quid. Here's a tenner. Here's a tenner. I'll put the other towards the cat's home. You know what I'm saying? Whatever they did with it, everything went on the firstborn. That was the one of promise. That was the one who was going to go forward. They don't think Abraham was the firstborn. I'll tell you what I find fascinating about this. Abraham is not looking for God, but God is looking for him. You might think, Pete, I'm not even sure why I'm here. Okay, I'm here for the dedication. I'm here because I walked past the town hall and I thought there was free coffee or something. God is looking for you. You might even say today, I, I, I don't think I'm looking for God. What we know of this is God is looking for you. God chose Abraham and God wants you. It says in Romans chapter 5, this was Paul writing a letter to the church. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if I was to put your picture up there, and you might think, oh, I'm not an incredible, I would like to say this, God chose you. God loves you. This hero is not about you seeking God. Okay, so what do I, I, I want to challenge us then. If we're going to be heroes for God, what are some of the things that we can learn? I've got three things that I think we could learn about this from the life of Abraham. The first thing is this, he hears God. I loved it that Samer came out after I'd read something and just said, oh, my sheep hear my voice. And I thought, brilliant, that is, that is what I'm preaching on this morning. It's almost like this, this great ability. I was looking stuff up this week. Do you know that an owl can hear a mouse in 0.01 seconds? I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? It's in the dark. It's got such perfect hearing. I, I was just, you think, wow. I'm just going to give a few tips. If you're a guy this morning, I would like you to listen really carefully now. If you're sat next to someone and he's with you and he's a guy, feel free to elbow him. I discovered how you can really listen well. The first thing is this, focus. That's it, I've lost some of you already. (laughs) The second thing is this, put down your phone. Oh, good grief, you know what I'm saying? What? (laughs) The third thing is this, if you want to be a good listener, ask questions. The fourth thing is this, practice reflective listening. Say back to them some of the things they've just said to you. The fifth thing is this, body language. If you really want to listen to someone, look them in the eye. You know, if I'm saying this, what does it really say to my wife? I'm not interested. Whereas if I say this, suddenly I'm listening. Body language. Number six, if you want to be a great listener, don't pass judgment. People don't want to talk to people that just pass judgment. In fact, number seven, if you want to be a great listener, I learned this week, keep your mouth shut. 
There you go. Some of you, you think, write down those seven points. That's it. I've got it from this morning. The thing I find about Abraham, he was a great listener because he heard God. Do you hear God? God speaks. I think the danger is that we live in a society that there's so much noise going on around us. Do we actually hear God speak to us? Because I think we're to be a hero. We can hear from God. Abraham is not trying to do something in self-effort. It's not about, I'm suddenly going to do something. It's God has spoken. We know from the Bible that self-effort gets us into trouble. How do we know that? Well, actually, we know from chapter 11 that they tried to build this tower. It's called the Tower of Babel because they thought we'll make a name for ourselves. What did self-effort lead to? It led to confusion. God ended up giving languages to confuse. That's where self-effort left. Or we know his father, Terah, he was told to go. In his self-effort, he did it. But what happened? He got fed up and he compromised on the way. He stopped short. Whereas Abraham, he hears God and in faith goes the course. This was a tough journey. I'm not London born and bred. I've been told that if you've lived here more than five years, you can call it your home. And golly, I think I've, li- I've lived here 20-something years. Reality is, I moved here to study for university. So many of us moved. For Abraham, this was a massive thing. It wasn't like, oh, there's just a land of opportunity. It wasn't like you can get a job and send money home. Do you know that when God told him to leave his country, his people, and his household, what God was really saying is, I want you to leave your region where you feel at home. I want you to leave your large ethnic group. I want you to leave your extended family. He was saying, abandon your land, abandon your family, abandon your inheritance, because God can provide all that you need. Do we realize that? That is what he heard God say. What did I say? He was, he was a moon worshiper. I wonder if God moved him on because he thought if he stays here and he hits trouble, he's going to rush back to the temple. And much rather, he came and heard from me. What about you? Are you hearing from God? I honestly believe God wants to speak to you. We read in Romans, this is the letter that I quoted from the New Testament, second half of the Bible, if you're not used to reading it. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, he'd heard, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So here he is, he's heard from God and we know this, this quote is 25 years on. He's still not had a kid, but he still said, I heard God. Isn't that amazing? I heard God. So many things change so quickly. But actually, I think we become real heroes if we hear what God has said and we just cling to it. I love it, don't you? That's what I love about the Bible. I think, why do we read the Bible? Because I honestly believe this is God's word to you. And you can hear God speak. In Hebrews, it talks about people of faith. It says, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. 
He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Because he'd heard God. I'll ask you a question. I ask myself a question. Will I trust God? Will I trust God? Or am I still being self-sufficient? Matthew Henry, a great commentator, said this, Trust God further than you can see him. (laughs) It's almost like, oh, golly, am I going to trust him? Oh, okay, I will trust him. So we learned that it was an unlikely hero, but God picked him out. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't even sit there now thinking, I'm sure he's preaching to the person next to me. It's you. Don't disqualify yourself. Believe that God will speak to you. I think heroes hear from God. The second thing I would like to say, heroes see God. He cries out to God. It says he calls on the name of the Lord. Now, this is a phrase that is used here, but it's actually used elsewhere in the, in the Bible. In fact, you can find it in the New Testament when Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. He says to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his people together with those everywhere who called on the name of the Lord. This was not just, a, oh, you know, I just shout it out. It was he understood something. He had seen who God was. This was not a one-off event. This led to a relationship. And so to be a real hero, he wasn't necessarily looking at himself. He was looking up at God and thinking, God, who are you? I wish I had time to go through every verse there was. Just in Genesis, we read in Genesis 14, 22, that Abraham says, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. In Genesis 15, we know that he describes God as the sovereign Lord. We know in Genesis 17, he talks about God almighty. We know in Genesis 21, he talks about the eternal God. I tell you, if we genuinely want to be heroes, we've got to see how great God is. I don't live based on the confidence of what I could do. I've got to live based on the confidence of what he could do. Yeah. Our danger is really that we look at our own power. We look at our own ability. We're still caught up in our own self-trust. Will we see God? Will we cry out? Will we understand something of God? And probably the third point is the hardest. I left it to the end. Abraham disappears. You think, Pete, how do you find that in the passage? It's not in the passage at all, is it? Well, I was going to say this, if we look carefully there. It actually becomes much more about God and what God does than what Abraham does. Because when he encounters God, it's more about I will. God says, I will, I will, I will. It's a bit like if you know John the Baptist, he came before Jesus and he ended up saying, I must decrease, he must increase. And he suddenly thought, oh, actually it's more about Jesus than about me. I found it fascinating that when you look at this, and uh, again, there's so many things in there I'd love to pull out. From there he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent He was a nomad. He was wandering around. He put his tent up. He took his tent down. He put his tent up. He took his tent down. He moved somewhere else. He put his tent up. He took his tent down. So what was the only thing he built? Well, it tells us in the verse. He built an altar to God. 
So the thing that lasted out of his life was not his tent, it was his altar. You see, the thing that was permanent was this pile of bricks upon which he sacrificed to God. So if you'd have come through the land, you wouldn't have found Abraham's tent, but you would have found the pillar to God. And they think that he built more than one of these, that he went somewhere else, and then he built another stack, and he, he honored God again. And maybe he went somewhere else and built another stack, and he honored God again. And what you would have realized after coming after Abraham is, uh, it, it's not like he built a city. It's not like he built a house. I cannot discover about him, but I can discover about his God. And I think, actually, if we're to be real heroes, we've got to realize it's less and less about us. I, um, I was reading about the countryside this week. I don't know why that is, because I love living in the city. Apparently, there's something now called a conservation ethics. It's called leave no trace. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Apparently, if you visit the countryside now, there are seven steps that you should do. You should plan ahead and go with purpose. You should travel and camp on only durable services. You should dispense of all your waste properly. You should leave what you find where it is. You should minimize any campfire impacts. You should respect wildlife. Be considerate of other visitors. The idea is that you can go to the countryside, come back, and no one knows you've been there so that you've left it beautiful for someone else. I think, do we do that in life? Or do we end up thinking, I want people to notice me? Photo bombing is quite a big thing now, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? You're going along, suddenly stick your head in there. I was going to put some pictures up, but I couldn't find many clean ones, to be totally honest. It's nearly all girls on the beach and some guys dancing around the background. There's this whole thing of, I want to be noticed. That was somebody else's moment, you know, somebody else's wedding, but somebody just jumps up in front of it. Photo bomb it. Spot me. Abraham, the real hero, is the one that disappears. Because what you discover from his life is it's not really about me, it's really about this God. You see, if you read the book of Genesis, you realize that there'd been quite a bit of judgment up up until this time. They'd been banished from the Garden of Eden. They'd been destroyed by the flood. They'd been divided by language. There'd even been many curses that had come. But God now comes to bless And that's why I think there's something about God here. God blesses and says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. He says this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham could have thought, I'm the man. Or he could have realized, which I believe he did, that ultimately this was pointing forward to the Messiah. Because the Messiah was going to be the one that was going to bless all the nations of the earth. And you could read about that in Isaiah 2. You can read about it in Zephaniah chapter 3. It's almost like I purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. There was this sort of sense of the Messiah will come and gather all the nations. The promise to Abraham was not that it would just be one people. We're to be a blessing everywhere. That's for us too. The 172 nationalities that live in this borough, we're to be a blessing to them. You know, the, the 10 million that should be in London by the year 2020, we're to be a blessing to them. Because that's what the promise was. But it wasn't about Abraham, it was actually about, well, this is the Messiah that will follow. 
I think this could apply to Sam and Anna this morning. The reality is that they could probably think, oh, I don't know if I can be great parents. Don't disqualify yourself. I think the reality is that we've just got to make sure that we look and listen well for our kids. And sometimes, let's be really frank, as parents, we end up disappearing. I've got three kids myself, and whenever I visit my parents now, they hardly say hello, Pete. They say, great, guys, come on in. Nice to see you, Josh Lowe's and Isaac. And I think, look, I'm not just a taxi man. I'm coming in too. You disappear as a parent. Everybody wants to meet the kids, don't they? But what about you? It's not just for parents today. What's God calling for your life? Do you disqualify yourself? It's not about self-effort. This is not just some personal improvement program this morning. I honestly believe that God wants to speak to you. I honestly believe that he wants you to see more and more of him week after week, month after month. I honestly believe that he wants you to use your life not to build something great for your name, but that you might leave an altar that others would think, wow, who is this God that he worshipped? I think that's the story that I'd love to bring to you. What do you think he's saying to you right now? Why don't we just take a moment? Let's pause. Father, we believe you're here right now. Jesus, we know that you said where two or three are gathered, you'll be right in the midst by the power of your Spirit. We do want to welcome you here. Lord, I want to pray for every person this morning that's disqualified themselves. Think, I couldn't do it. God won't use me. If you knew the mess I'd done, if you knew the things I've thought, if you knew the people that I've turned over, that I've messed about, God, I thank you your grace is that you pick the unlikely. Lord, I pray for those this morning that, to be honest, they once said, I believed all that and I've given up on it now. I bet there's no second chance. God, I pray that they know there's a second chance this morning. I pray for those that think, I've never heard anything like this. Why haven't I found out? But I need to find out quick. Lord, I, I pray that they think, great, come now. Lord, I pray for those that are elderly that can even think, look, I, I, I was chatting to a guy just yesterday. He said, you know, I never believed any of this for 50 years, but I believe it now. I pray for any here this morning. They just think, oh, is it too late? It is not. Do not disqualify yourself. God wants you to hear from him. He wants you to see him. He wants you to discover him. He ultimately wants your life to make a difference in this nation and for eternity because you're building something for him and his glory. Amen.